0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you, so uh, I just wanna welcome everybody, all our guests, anybody watching online, either now or later in the week. Welcome, we're glad you're with us. One person was watching on a beach, said this is the best I've ever sounded with a picture of the ocean in the background. I think people do that on purpose just to rub it in, that they're not here, but they're still engaged. But hey, we are glad you're here with us today. We're now come about halfway through our series and Reverse the curse, and as I told you last week, I'm gonna be talking to the men today. So guys, I'm sorry if you got set up or tricked into being here. You won't regret it. You'll be glad. This isn't going to be the suck it up, men, you're terrible. This isn't that message. However, women, I also want to caution you. Everything I'm saying today to the men applies to you, but I'm not applying it to you. You're going to have to do that on your own. But next week, we'll talk to the ladies. Men, that doesn't mean don't come. That means you need to come and support them and encourage them uh, as I'm talking to them. Because everything I'm saying to them will apply to you. You're just going to have to apply it on your own. Now, the last thing I'll say is, ladies, this would not be a good time to be elbowing your husband. This would not be a good time to text him if he's not in the room, and this would not be a good time to ask him how he feels, okay? So just like leave all that out, all the guy touchy-feely stuff, whatever, leave that out, and uh, we'll just jump into today. So real quick, your name, your name, you were given your name for a reason of some sort, right? So, like, it came down to it, and they couldn't decide, they just wrote whatever in. Um, One of my good friends, Rick and Patty Beavers, who go to church here, their youngest son is named Patrick, and they said, you want to know how he got his name? I said, no. They said, we couldn't decide, and it was time to write a name down. So, we took Pat from Patty and Rick, and we got Patrick. I'm like, well, there you go. Did you come up with a better story for him? Like, anyway, everybody got their name from something, right? A grandparent, a friend, or whatever it is. I have three little boys, and each of them have very unique names. We did that on purpose. But here's my crazies. You guys are asking me all the time. I don't know if they changed the angle, or it seems like it's pointing up the ceiling. Anyway, here's my three crazies. Yeah, there they go. So you got my oldest here on the, the, in the Spider-Man shirt. This is Matthias. We got Levi in the Iron Man shirt, and Nehemiah, who's wearing a Thomas. And over here again, Matthias, Levi, and Nehemiah. Just like good pictures of them. So uh, the way this went for me, <clears throat> you talked about this little box, right? Matthias Lee is his full name. Matthias was brought home from Taiwan 2009. Lee was his surname. It's like a last name, but it's different. And uh, so we decided to keep that and give him Matthias. Many of you know the story, so I don't need to go into it. But um, Matthias got his name because they drew us names out of, a, out of a hat and matched up kids with people who were adopting. And, uh, and I told my mom, "Oh, that sounds like Matthias in the Bible. She goes, well, what does that mean? And I go, I don't know. So I looked it up and Matthias is the Greek form of Matthew, which I'm Matt, in case you didn't know that and introduced myself. And um, And so literally, Matthias means a gift from God, because that's what Matthew means. So when you put it together, Matthias Lee means powerful gift from God. And it is so true of his personality. I mean, it is is literally, like, he's just a a strong personality little boy. That's all the time. And you're going to do great things in this world. The kid is a savant. He's extremely intelligent. And I tell him all the time, you're going to have a huge influence in the science community, buddy. You just keep loving God and studying hard. My second one is Levi Benjamin, and the way we got his name was uh, I wanted, since Matthias was named after me and Matthew and Matthias, I wanted to do something for Levi, but I didn't want to be so obvious his name of Matthew. I thought that might be kind of, you know, hey, you get Matthew, you get some old ancient Greek form of Matthew, so I decided since there's a guy in the Bible named Levi... Who also was called Matthew. He was Matthew the Tash Collective guy, he wrote Matthew the gospel book, that I would name him Levi. So it'd be like a cool kind of haha, he's Matthew, but not really. Just like he's Matthew, but not really. See, I'm smart. Okay. I'm like George Foreman, but way cooler. Okay. <laughs> and Benjamin, because my wife's name is Rachel, and there's a Rachel in the Bible who couldn't have children, and just like us, had a hard time having kids, and God gave her Benjamin. And so Rachel really wanted to pick Benjamin. And so that's how he got his name. And Levi Benjamin, we thought meant, we found out later we're wrong, but just let us live in our own fantasy world, meant something like, my son joined in harmony. Now, I don't know what your middle children are like, if you have three or more children, but it is so true of this little guy. Levi is the glue that holds everything together, Matthias is, you know, he's nine years old, just turned nine, and, and Nehemiah, I'll get to you in a second here, he's a little over four years old, there's such a gap between them that even though they love each other, there's, they, they don't have a ton in common yet, but Levi is this glue that joins them all together, but not only that, but he is like, like, Rachel and I yesterday, we were having this little, we weren't even fighting, we were joking with each other, we were laughing, we were totally just playing and teasing, but apparently our voices had elevated, and Levi came over, and he's like, trying to keep the peace, because that's who he is. And we're like, buddy, we're okay. Really, we're just teasing each other. Your mom loves to be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to raise him to be a good man, all right? Anyway. So my third one, my third one is uh, Nehemiah Matthew. I finally threw in the towel. I looked at every single form of Matthew in every language I could find on Wikipedia. And... Um, none of them that I like, and so I decided just to throw in the towel, we'll just call him Matthew, we'll make it the middle name, and uh, we'll go by his first name, Nehemiah. The reason is, I was reading the book of Nehemiah in the Bible at the time, and I thought, that's what I want my son to be like. Nehemiah is this great leader, this powerful man who rebuilds and restores walls and families in the people of God, and I was like, man, I don't know what God wants to do in his life, that's what I want over him, that's what I want to pray over him, and I told Rachel that, she's like, I love it, and it's weird, nobody knows how to spell it, so let's do it. And, um, So here's a question, like, how did you get your name? Do you know? Do you know the story? Let me ask you maybe a a different question, one that will set up today a little bit. What about your identity? See, in biblical times, names and identities were married together. You were identified by who you were or who was your daddy or what you were connected to or what you did. That's not necessarily true today, And let me just show this to you in the Bible for a minute. We're gonna open our Bibles. If you have one, you wanna open with us. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 25. I'll be mostly in the NIV today. And while we're turning, let me set the stage for what we're about to look at. In Genesis, God comes to a man named Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all nations will be blessed. Whoever blesses you, I'll bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. That blessing traveled from Abraham to his son, Isaac, And then from his son Isaac into this very moment. So I realize that's a lot of names, but Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah are about to give birth to their first child. Let's take a look now. Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. When the time came for her, that's Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Aren't you glad for ultrasounds? Oh, look, there's Twins. (laughs) the first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Now Esau would be great if it meant red. It wouldn't be so bad. He's kind of a reddish boy. David's later referred to as ruddy or reddish. But instead Esau doesn't mean red. Esau means, anybody want to guess? Some of you knew. Not H-A-R-R-Y, Harry. H-A-I-R-Y, Harry. Like I have less of, Harry. Now, poor Harry. How would you like it if your entire life you were called Harry? Now, names back then weren't exactly like names today. See, the word is what the word means. Are you with me? We don't go around and you don't look at me and literally say, hello, gift from God. How are you today? I mean, not that you shouldn't, you know. (laughs) Maybe we should try that later. Instead, you look at me and you say, hi, Matt. How are you today? How's your family? You know, or a great sermon, Matt. Sometimes I even just get pastor. I don't even get Matt. Matt means gift from God. Matthew means gift from God. Esau means Harry. So everywhere they went, they went, hi, Harry. How are you today? That's a bad day. Every day for the rest of your life. Then notice it says, after this, his brother came out and with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Jacob literally means one who grabs another's heel. Where did they get that? Well, Esau's trying to come out. Clearly, there's some sort of struggle. And Jacob's holding on like, bring me with you. (laughs) Same time, he's just coming right out with him, holding on to the heel. So they said, well, there you go. And this is what happens when you don't have epidurals and pain medicine. You just kind of make up the name in the moment with whatever you got, right? So Jacob, one who grabs another's heel, really translated one who trips up another's heel, To trip somebody's heel, think about a football player running down the field and the guy in desperation is trying to tackle him and he makes that last second dive and he swipes at his foot and when he hits it, what happens to the guy in front of him? He trips and falls. The way we say this in English today is not one who grabs and trips another, it's literally deceiver. Did you know that? Some of you did. So, how would you like it for your entire life for your name to be Harry or Deceiver? I mean, they're just naming these kids based off what they're experiencing. There are some scholars, I don't agree with them, I just want to be clear about that, but there are some scholars who don't believe these names were literal, but the names were inserted later in order to tell the story. Since for hundreds of years, these stories were passed down through what we call oral traditions. They weren't written down, they were told over and over and over again. And if you'll notice, we only have the five or so highlights of the story. There's many, 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 many days and hours and years and situations that are missing because they aren't important to the arc of the scriptures. And so it was believed by some that maybe these names were made up to help tell the story so people would remember it I don't land there but it is fascinating fascinating how accurate these names are but I'll tell you this my kids names are unbelievably accurate about who they are in a way that I can't explain I didn't mention this but my youngest son Nehemiah Matthew means a gift comforted by God Well, that's important because he's the little guy who is constantly bringing joy and happiness to our faces. He's the little guy that when I came down on, uh, I think it was Friday afternoon, and he's at the table by himself, and I came downstairs, I was carrying something down, I was picking up something and carrying it back upstairs, and he goes, nothing. And I said, what? He goes, nothing, I wasn't doing nothing. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) What nothing weren't we doing? He's just constantly saying the silliest, craziest things. He's constantly bringing joy to our lives because somehow his name has connected to his personality. But more importantly, more importantly, I adore these little boys. I delight in these little boys. I can't wait to discover more about how God's growing them and teaching them every single day but I get it, I connect easier with certain ones of my boys than others, at least one of my boys, people even jokingly call him Little Matt because we are so much alike, and one of my boys, I have to go out of my way to connect to because we are not, we don't have a ton alike and in common, but as his daddy, I want him to know how precious and special he is. So I make the extra effort in hopes that he'll know and see and believe that he is adored. What about you? When you were a child, were you important? Were you delighted in? Were you cared for? Were your parents engaged in your well-being, your nurturing? Let's be more specific than just simply your parents, especially for you men. How about your dads? I don't know if John Eldridge is 100% right, but John Eldridge says that only a man can bestow masculinity on a boy. And every boy is asking the same exact question. Do you know what it is? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be a father, a husband, an employee, a man, to provide, to protect? Do I have what it takes? If a little boy doesn't find the answer to that question, he'll become a man still searching for it. And if he searches for it long enough and he never gets it resolved, then he'll find the place where he is enough and he'll camp out there. And it could be in addictions, Be in jobs, could be in hobbies, or sports, or a drive, whatever it is. Cars, homes, clothing, a look, a style, because he's still trying to answer the question do I have what it takes? So what happens when a little boy is growing up and his daddy isn't there to speak that into his life as he turns to his mama. How do I know? Well, not only have I seen it over and over and over again as a pastor, I think it's actually in the Bible. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 25. I wanna show you something. You've Maybe if you've ever read the book of Genesis, you probably read, just kept moving. It wasn't that important to you at the time, so you just kept going. Here we go, Genesis 25, verse 24. That's not right, that's part we already read. Genesis 25, verse 27, sorry. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. You know what that means? Jacob was, or Esau was a manly man, and Jacob was a mama's boy. I'm not making this stuff up. You're like, I don't know, pastor. I feel like you're reading into it a little bit. You know who stays home among the tents? Mom. Dads go out, and they take care of the animals, and the animals usually had to graze sometimes for long periods of time. They had to go out and do all the physical hard labor stuff, and the women stayed home and did the different kind of physical hard labor stuff. They often had to cook and clean and make sure that the clothes were taken care of, that the meals were prepared. They had to take care of the children, and Esau was a man of the fields, but Jacob was a man of the tents. Let me show you this in the King James Version, because I think it does an even more profound job of making this clearer. Here it is, the same verse, chapter 25, verse 27, in the King James. It says this, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man. Okay, guys in the room, quick vote. Which one do you want to be? You wanna be the doodly dude who's a man of the field or you wanna be the boring, plain man who stays home around the tents? Like, okay, there may be some of you, I don't know, but I'm gonna guess most guys in the room go, I wanna be that dude, I wanna be the other dude. And guess what the byproduct of that was? We'll just stay with the King James. Here, look at verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I'm gonna guess you read that verse at some point in your life and you just kept moving because it seemed like no big deal here because you didn't slow down your life long enough to connect to the story of what was happening in the text. What is it like to grow up in the home with a dad who loved your brother? So you bonded with mom, you connected there, but consequently there was always a question in your head, do I have what it takes? Am I enough? I mean, this plays out in a million different ways, right? I mean, I could, I could paint the scenario in a lot of different ways, but what it comes down to is the reality that we have an epidemic in America, and this touches on that problem so profoundly. The epidemic we have in America is what we call Fatherlessness far too many men not engaged in the places that God has placed you. And I don't know if you know this or not yet, men, but I say it a lot, and that is this, God has uniquely made you and placed you in your families, in your communities, in your children's lives to represent him to the world. Women do too, but again, we're gonna talk about that next week but you bring power and courage and strength into the world, and you represent him when you do. And so when your children do not have you engaged in their lives in that way, when your wife does not have you engaged in her life that way, when the world does not have you engaged in it that way, it leaves us with lots of questions. Questions that eventually turn into controlling behaviors. Because see, when little boys don't know how to act, they start to try to control the world in the only ways they know how. And they'll either get it from what they learn from mom because, well, mom's stressed out all the time because nobody's helping her have peace in the world because we're not meeting that need. And so therefore, little boys will just start to act out of what they see mom do or they'll learn their own way. I talked about that extensively last week. I don't have time to go into it today. Perfectionistic control. Attention-seeking control, aggressive control, withdrawn control, they're all ways to try to bring our world under control because it's out of control. Men, the reason God placed you here is to be the leader. By being the leader, it means you're pouring out what God is giving to you into those around you. I don't know if you know this or not, but approximately one in three U.S. children are raised in homes where their biological father is absent. One in three. Of that one in three, 40% of that one, I realize we're getting a smaller statistic here, but 40% of that one have not seen their biological father in the last year. Let that sink in for a minute because I know that some of you, if you were to take all of the time that a dad works in his lifetime, accumulate all those hours, you would have 12 years accumulated of a man's life that he spent working If you were to take all of the hours that a man spent talking to his child, accumulated all of those, on average, you would have 11 days. That one blows my mind. Now I realize some of you in the room, you're like, that's not me. Like I spend a ton of time with my kids. My dad spent a a ton of time with me. And honestly, to you, I just wanna say praise God for you. Praise God for your story, praise God. We need, yeah, we need more men like that. but it's not the typical story in America. In fact, studies show that the average man catch this spends 37 seconds a day with his preschool child, 37 seconds, seconds. And I, I, I get it, having had three crazy little boys. At one point, we had five, we had five kids, no, thank you, Jesus. We had three kids, <laughs> three kids, five and under. Three kids, five and under. I, I don't, I literally, were joking backstage. There was a six month span of my life, I don't remember anything that happened. I think I slept, I think I ate, I'm still here. I got plenty to back it up, but I don't, I don't remember it. And I remember when I was in my late 20s or so, I had a friend in ministry, and he had his wife was pregnant with her second. He had a little boy. I don't remember his boy was like maybe 12 to 18 months old, something like that. And um, I remember like Rachel and I just gone out to see a movie, and I was like, Hey, we went out and saw blah 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 last night. What'd you do? And he's like, Oh, I stayed home, played with my son. I'm like, Your son? He's like a year old. Like, what'd you do with him? He's like, well, whatever he wanted. I'm like, what does a one year old? I mean, can't even play Xbox. Like, what do you do with a one year old? Well, I know now. You change a lot of diapers, but. What I didn't understand then, was, I, don't, I didn't know. Nobody ever taught me. What do you do with a one-year-old, right, men? So it's easier to gravitate toward whatever else it is that I want to do, or I'm good at doing, and not do that. The byproduct, though, is this. 70% of prison inmates grew up in fatherless homes. 85% of behavioral disorders in children, those children come from fatherless homes. of high school dropouts, guess where they come from? Fatherless homes. And John Hopkins Medical School did a long-term study. It was over a couple decades. They surveyed 1,337 of their previous uh, uh, doctors, those who'd come through their program, and they were trying to find a link between these five things. Hypertension, coronary disease, malignant tumors, mental illness, and suicide. They found one common thing present in all five a disconnect in relationship between a child and a parent, specifically the father. So I wonder what it's like to be Jacob. Your name is Deceiver. You're growing up in the home where dad appreciates your brother a whole lot more than you. So what do you do? You turn to mom, and you hang around the tents, and you learn to cook, and you learn to do the things that in that culture mothers did and dads didn't. It's not a knock. I'm not saying we should go back there. I'm just saying that's the way it was. So what happens is, um, kind of one, two, skip a few here. I'm gonna summarize huge chunks of scripture and what it means, but in that culture, the oldest son sorry ladies, again we'll talk more about this next week but the oldest son got a double portion of the inheritance. So what happened was there were two brothers, right? There's Esau and Jacob. It says Esau is the oldest you have to add a number in order to get a double inheritance. So you would split everything up into thirds and then Esau would get two thirds and Jacob would get one third of the inheritance. Now that's called the birthright. Then there's the blessing and the blessing was that special spiritual thing that went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob that would travel all the way down to Jesus. That's why you open Matthew and Luke in the Gospels, the very beginning of the New Testament, and they go to great lengths to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham to show that this is a fulfillment of the promise coming from God to Abraham, down, 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 down through generations to Jesus. God fulfilled his promise, in other words. But so these are two separate things. So there's a story in there where Esau goes out and he's hunting, and uh, he catches, or he comes back and he's famished. And Jacob's been in there cooking because he hangs around at the tents. And so when Esau shows up, he's like, give me some of your food. And Jacob says, no, I'm not giving you my food. He's like, give me your food, I'm too hungry going to die. He's a little bit on the, um, I don't know what you call it, impulsive side. And so Jacob says, I'll give you some food if you give me your birthright. Not the blessing, the birthright, the inheritance. And and he says, what do I need that thing for? Take it. He eats the food. He's a little upset later. He's kind of bitter at Jacob. It wasn't even that good anyway. I mean, But he thought to himself, I don't need that. I've got plenty of money. He's got more than one wife. He took multiple wives. He's like, I don't need any of that anyway. I can do for myself. I don't need dad's inheritance to do it all. He's a self-made man. But then we fast forward, and now Isaac, the dad, is on his deathbed. And deathbed then is a little less clear than it is now. Everybody knows Isaac's health is fading, but they don't know how long he has left. And so Isaac says, Esau, Esau, I want you to go out into the field. I want you to grab my favorite venison. Come back, prepare for me. And after you've done that, you and I will sit and have a meal and I will give you the blessing, this important blessing that came from God to Abraham to me. And now, son, I'm giving it to you. Part of it, Isaac doesn't understand. This isn't just his blessing to give away. This is God's blessing to give away, to choose who it goes through, but he doesn't fully understand it. So he's gonna give it to his oldest because he thought, That's how it should go. So Esau goes out to hunt, and Rebecca, the excuse me, the mom, comes to Jacob and says, Hey, Jacob, this is our time to act. Now remember, when a boy cannot find his masculinity in his dad, he will turn to who? Mom. And if mom doesn't give him the right answers, he'll turn to somebody else: a girlfriend, a job, a coach, a something, a someone to fill the gap. But when he turns to mom, mom doesn't point him to God. Now, God told Rebecca at the birth, he said, Rebecca, I'm giving this to the second one, not the first one. The second one will rule over the first one. So instead of Rebecca trusting that God would work it out, Rebecca took matters into her own hands and aggressively controlled the situation. She says, Jacob, here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna go make your father's meal. Go get me one of our animals. Don't go out in the woods and hunt. Just grab one of ours. We'll come in, we'll kill it. I'll make your dad's favorite meal. His taste buds are going anyway. He's an old dude. And he's getting blind anyway. He can't see as good as he used to. We're gonna do this. We're gonna put hair on your arms, hair on the back of your neck. We're gonna put your brother's clothing on you. And you're gonna go in and you're gonna steal the blessing. Now here's where that story picks up. Genesis chapter 27, verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am your I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success. He just blamed God for lying. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Apparently the old man has not lost it completely. He's on to them. But he can't tell. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands, <laughs> the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. Oh my goodness. How hairy is that dude? He's got animal skin on his hands. <laughs> like. <laughs> okay, moving on. You'd name him hairy too. So. Isaac proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am. Wow. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. He brought him some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went into him and he kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, I don't miss this. Isaac is sitting in the presence of his daddy. All he's ever wanted is a blessing. And he's about to get it. But every word that's spoken from here forward wasn't meant for Isaac. It was meant for Esau. I can't even... I can't even begin to understand how much that must have hurt. Ah, the smell of my son. Do you hear the delight of the dad over his son? It's just not this son. It's like the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dues and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And there it is. It's the words that God spoke to Abraham who spoke it to Isaac, who now spoke it to Jacob. May those who bless you be blessed. This is what Jacob, or Isaac in his mind, he is passing on the blessing of God, the power, the prominence, the provision of God over his son Esau, but it's not Esau, it's Jacob. If I had another hour, I could go even deeper into what happens next. Suffice it to say, it didn't go well when Esau got back. And he finds his brother in the room receiving his blessing. And he comes in and, where's my blessing? Literally, bless me too, Father. Is there no blessing left for me? And the father looks at him and says, I gave it all away. It's Jerry Springer, like Old Testament style. (laughs) And Esau literally says, look, my brother has lived up to his name. I mean, everybody knows what Jacob means. Everybody knows what Jacob means. And he's walking right in the footsteps of his identity. Well, mama says, hey, son, uh, you better get out of here. Because Esau's going to kill you. And so he runs to a foreign land. she goes, why don't you go to my brother's house? He's way out there. You go out there and live until your brother calms down for a little bit. So he does, and while he's out, the first night that he's out, he literally takes a stone, he puts his head on it, and goes to sleep for the night, and God shows up, and we call this Jacob's Ladder, maybe you've heard of it, you should look it up later, it's profound, because God gives Jacob a dream that night, and there's a ladder coming down from heaven down to Jacob, and he sees uh, beings going up and down between heaven and earth. Now think about how much that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven to earth, and now we get to go back up to heaven from earth because of Jacob's Ladder. But what God was doing to Jacob that day, Jacob wakes up the next day and he gets it, but he doesn't get it. He wakes up the next day and he builds a little monument to God and he celebrates. God was here. This was the temple of God. He met me in this place. How great. God's going to bless me. God's going to do great things with me. I'm going to be awesome. And he does not understand the truth of God's blessing. So he goes off and he ends up in a foreign land and he runs into his brother in law, or sorry, his uncle, his, his mom's brother, and his name is Laban. And Laban has these two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And again, we'll talk about those next week, and there's a lot of names, you don't have to keep up with them all. Rachel is the younger of the two, and she is drop dead gorgeous. And so he goes to Laban and says, Laban, your daughter, she is beautiful and she's single. Look, can we just put aside the weird family connection for a minute? I'll deal with that some other time. I don't have time to deal with it today. You gotta trust me. There's answers. I don't have time for it. He says, what would it take for me to be able to marry your daughter? And he says, you work for me for seven years. Seven years, you can have her in marriage. So he does. He works hard proves himself to laban. It comes time, see, in Hebrew culture, the way that the wedding was finalized, it wasn't an I do put a ring on and somebody plays a song and you walk out the room. No, 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 no. You go back into the bedroom. Everybody's still partying. You consummate the marriage and that's the sealing of the deal. And once you've sealed the deal, you're married. That's how it goes. So he goes into the night. He's probably had a few drinks. Dad pulls a switcheroo. He doesn't let Rachel go in. He puts Leah in. You know, she's got a veil on and everything else. Anyway, they consummate the marriage, and when Jacob realizes, hey, wait a minute, who are you? He comes on. He goes, what did you do? He said, what do you mean? Oh, you mean Leah. Yes, I worked for Rachel. Yes, I know, but see, Leah's older and she's weak on the eyes. Now, we don't know what weak on the eyes means. Again, we'll talk about this more next week, but weak on the eyes could mean she has a lazy eye or it could just mean she's not real pleasant to look at. And we don't know, the Hebrew's like trying to be very kind to Leah, but he says, I couldn't marry her off. Nobody wants to marry her. She's unmarriable, but I can't marry my younger daughter before my other daughter gets married. Give me seven more years and you can have her too. Oh, wow, Jacob has met his match. When God wants to reveal something to you, do you know what he'll have to do? He'll bring you your mirror. Think about that person in your life who just drives you absolutely bonkers. And then think for a second, and you won't want to admit this at first. It'll be later, the Holy Spirit will be saying, remember what Matt said? And you go, I hate that you're right. Just think about this for a minute. That person in your life who you just, you're calling out something in their character that just drives you bonkers, is it because it's in you too? It's not always going to be that way, but it's often when God wants to reveal something to you, he'll bring somebody in your life who does it too to say, see, this is what it feels like to everybody else when you do what you do. So Jacob spends the next seven years working hard so we can get Rachel, but there's a whole lot of deception wrapped up in it. Finally, he decides his time has been over 14 years. I want to go home. I want to go back to my home. So he takes his wives, takes his children, takes everything that he's accumulated, all the animals and property and things that he've accumulated over the time, and he's going to head home. And the only problem is when he gets home, he's still going to have to face a very angry, skillful hunter named Esau. And he's hoping and praying that 14 years have changed everything, that time heals all wounds, but rarely does time heal all wounds. We all believe the lie that it does. It doesn't. The right activity over time heals wounds, but just ignoring a wound is still there. And he knows that. So when it comes time to run into Esau, he's still trying to control the situation. He's still trying to deceive. He's still trying to make life work on his own. But here's the thing, God has rigged life. Life only works when we do it with God, God's way. So he's got this grandiose plan. I'm gonna send my stuff and my family and my kids ahead of me, hoping to soften. You can read in here, manipulate my brother. And to maybe seeing, hey, he's got a life and responsibilities, maybe I shouldn't kill him like I have the right to and want to. Let's pick up that story. Genesis chapter 27, verse 34. That's not right. Ignore me. Genesis chapter 32, let's try that one. Verse 22, Genesis 32, verse 22. That night, Jacob got up took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So what's he doing? Well, first he's trying to soften Esau's heart. Look, they're just some women and children. They're innocent, they're harmless. Here's my possessions. You can have everything I own, just don't kill me. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. A what? The Bible does this really crazy stuff sometimes. Go pull up Google Maps later and just look up this area, right? It is in the middle of nowhere. Even today, it's pretty much the middle of nowhere, although... Back then, it literally was the middle of nowhere. There's no city. There's nothing developed. There's, I mean, there's nowhere. And a dude comes walking up. He has nothing. He just sent his wife, his children, all of his servants, everything he owned, he just sent on ahead. It's him. So, like, if this is a thief in the middle of the night, he's got nothing to gain. Where is this guy coming from out of the middle of nowhere, and why is he coming up to Jacob? But then This happens. Uh, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Okay, first of all, this is not UFC Old Testament style, all right? like (laughs) Jacob and random dude wrestle for no purpose. No, no, no. I believe with all my heart, and I'll show you, I'll prove it to you as best as I can over the next few minutes, this is God. More specifically, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Why do I believe that? Well, first of all, we call this a theophany. This is where God becomes flesh and shows up in the story. This is exactly what Jesus did. God became flesh. It showed up in our story. It's the way God resolves our tension and our problems all the time. It's a theophany. Why is it called a theophany? Because God became man how do I know? Well, the first sign that that's true is this. They've been wrestling all night long, and when the man decides he's had it enough, he just touches his leg, and his hip pops out. There's something profoundly powerful about this man he's been holding back the whole time. It's like when you wrestle with your kids, and you're letting them win, and they start talking smack, and you say, mm, it's time to let you remember who's dad here. This isn't like the guy got him in some leg hold and thought, okay, if I just twist this way, I'll pop his leg out of socket. He literally reached out his finger, touched his hip, and it jumped out of socket. And Jacob still didn't let go. That's a strong man. What happens next? Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Why is that even relevant? Well, I don't know how familiar you are with Bible stories, but if you go back into a different part of the Old Testament, jump forward to the story of Exodus, there's a guy named Moses, and he goes up on a mountain to meet with God, God gives him the Ten Commandments, and uh, Moses looks at God and says, I wanna see your face. Let me see your face. And God says, you can't see my face. In the garden, Adam and Eve saw God's face and they could handle it. But after the garden, said, sin has entered, the glory of God would crush us under the weight of our sin and despair. And God says, no, Moses, I'll put you in this cleft. I'll cover you with my hand and my glory will pass by. You'll basically see the back of me, but you can't look at me. So in this moment, we've got this man wrestling with God. He says, you gotta let me go. Why? The sun is coming up. Why should I care that the sun is coming up? You can't see my face. I mean, it's just a deep metaphor. It's not a literal thing, but it is a literal thing. It's one of those Bible things. You can't see my face. Why? Because I'm God. If you see my face, you'll die. You're like, I don't know, Pastor. Let me keep going, all right? But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you what? There it is. I will not. Let you go until you bless me. Nope. What's Jacob been looking for his entire life? A blessing. He's been looking for a blessing from his father. But he's been looking in the wrong place. He started with his earthly dad. And when he didn't get it there, he went to his uncle. And when he didn't get it there, he's now wrestling with a man in the desert. I will not let you go until you give me the blessing. And the man asked him, what's your name? Deceiver, he answers. I mean, he says Jacob, but it's synonymous This is what he's been his entire life. I win by tricking everybody. I win by deceiving them. I win by outstrategizing them. I win by always staying one step ahead of whatever it is that's chasing me. That's how I win. And I'm gonna make you do what I'm telling you to do. Do you see what's in Jacob's heart? Why is God wrestling with Jacob? Because God desperately wants Jacob to stop wrestling. Stop fighting against me. At every turn, I've showed up, I've blessed you, I've provided for you, I've cared for you, and I've got you in this moment, and I've even wrenched your hip out of socket. Will you finally stop fighting and let me be God? Jacob doesn't know how. What if I trust you, God, and you fail me? If you trust me, Jacob, I will bless you. So what's the name that you were given? What name did your father put on you? Was it not worth my time? He was too busy working, playing sports. He was too busy chasing his hobbies or his friends. Was that the identity you got from your dad? Is this the one you're giving your kids? Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was this one. I love you, son. You're just, you're not as important as this other girl. These addictions that I have. What was it when you were a child and you were wondering, men, am I enough? Do I have what it takes? What was it you were given? Were you given an answer to your question? Because if you weren't given an answer to your question like Jacob, God wants to answer your question. And it's not that you're not good enough, and it's not that you're a failure, and it's not that you're defined by your worst day, and it's not that you're whatever it is that you've been believing up to this moment that you are. Do you know what it is? Verse 28. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. That's what Israel means. Something along the lines of overcomer. Victorious. Winner. One who wrestles with God and with men and has overcome. Why? Because God loves you. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you've proven anything. It's simply because he is good and he delights in you. He loves to cherish you. You are special to him, important to him. And all those lonely moments and times and days when you wondered why you weren't important enough, why nobody was there for you, why God had abandoned you, why did he allow this to happen? And all of those moments, your heavenly father wept with you. He sat with you. He fought for you. He cried for you because you You were enough to him. And men, you, yeah. And he wants to change your identity from whatever it is you're chasing. It's a child. And they may not sound powerful. They may not sound strong, but if you think that, it's because you don't know what that means. There's a reason when Jesus comes, he calls God Father more than anything. There's a reason in Jesus' deepest, most painful moment, he cries out not just Father, but Abba, Daddy. It's the most intimate form of connection that he can have in a word, Dad. Right now, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I need you. And in the next moment, he go hang on a cross, suffering tremendously in physical pain and spiritual pain and relational pain so that we could know God. This is not a term of weakness, This is a term of strength that our heavenly father is pouring into you all that you are so that you can be in this world enough always, all the time through him. (laughs) Jacob said, please tell me your name. But The man replies, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him. Man, I just want to suggest for a minute, um, you've been looking your whole life for a blessing. But you thought it was gonna come where it wasn't coming. God has the intention of blessing you, but he does it through his son, Jesus, and you need a relationship with him. Apart from Jesus, you're still an enemy of God trying to make it work on your own. It doesn't have to be that way. Jacob goes on in verse 30, and it says this, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God, what did he say? And you thought I was making all that stuff up. Face to face, and yet my life was spared. God showed us his face when he showed us Jesus Christ. He says, this is the exact representation of who I am. When you look at him, you look at me. It's why Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see him. When you see him, you see me. Men, today, rest yourself in your Father, your heavenly one who's never left you, forsaken you, abandoned you, quit on you, and he will not start now. George MacDonald says this. Who could give a man his name? Who could give a man this? His own name, God alone, for no one, no one but God sees what the man is your father is looking upon you with grace. He wants to flip your script. He wants to change your story. The question for all of us is, will you let him? Are you gonna have to keep fighting and wrestling and kicking and screaming and doing it your own way? Are you finally gonna say, God, I'm done fighting, I'm done running, I'm done wrestling. God, do whatever you want in me. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. God, just take my life and do whatever you want with it because it's there and it's only there, men, that you find the meaning and the purpose that you've been searching for, the answer to your question. You are enough. So if you're a man in this room and this sermon in any way, shape, or form is connecting with you, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm gonna ask you just to stand right now. Ladies, you do not need to ask him later why he stood. All right. And I'm going to ask our heavenly Father to bless you. As soon as I'm done, we're going to go right and do communion. So when I say amen, you just just take some time to be with Jesus. Communion service, just stay in the room. You're fine. When I'm done praying and they go get communion, I'm gonna go right there. I'm actually gonna move this stuff over there, then I'm gonna go right over there, under that screen. Our our people are gonna come down who help make decisions. Look, if you're in this room, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need a new name. You need the name Christian. You need the name saved. You need the name found. You need the name light. It's time to stop running from God and run to him instead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh God, I thank you for these men. These are game changers. These are world changers right here. God, there are maybe men right now, even at home watching online or or live right now. God, I just pray that you'd speak to their hearts as they lift up their hand to you. Father, bless these men. You love them. You've never given up on them. You've been following them, pursuing them, wrestling with them, trying to get them to stop being in control all the time. Just lay down and surrender. That is an absolutely terrifying thing to say to a man. God, we can't do that apart from your spirit wrestling us. Because, God, we're we're afraid to let anybody else be in control. Every single man in this room can say that. But, God, it's only in surrender to you that we find the strength we were looking for all along in ourselves. So, God, break us. Throw our hip out of socket, our back out of socket, or whatever you got to do, Father. Strip away from us every false thing that we've put up that we are putting forward for everybody else to see, God. But in in the meantime, we're hiding the real us from you. God, meet us in this place and speak a new name over us. Bless us, Father. Help us to see ourselves not the way the enemy accuses us of our sin as deceivers or as liars or as losers or as fakes or as whatever it is. Instead, God, Give us that name, overcomer, victorious, winner, my son. God, we love you. Give us the strength to live from that place in our families, in our workplace, in our marriages, and in our church. We ask all this in Jesus' name.